Good morning. This is part three in our look at Romans. This is covering Romans chapter five and six. It's probably going to be a little bit longer, so if you want to like listen to a bit and stop and listen to a bit, that's totally fine. Um, there's just so much in here. And I'm going to open with this, the quote, Therefore we have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Christ our Lord has done for us. So, having set the basis of not only what the Christian faith is, but why it should be taken seriously for everyone, not just the Jews, but everyone, Paul now turns his attention towards a few real-world truths. And the big one is that problems and trials and difficulties will come, but because we have peace with God, we can still be joyful and see benefits in life. So before we do anything, read Romans 5, 3 to 5, and just think, what stands out to you? What do you think of how Paul views difficult times in his life? And Paul wants the church to know that gaining endurance will lead to a strong character, and that that can only be a good thing. Because if we have a strong character, if we're full of endurance, it was going to help strengthen our hope in our salvation. Because if we live only an easy or carefree Christian life, where we never have to struggle for anything, we aren't going to develop the kind of strong character that can build a life of hope in the cross. And even if you aren't a Christian, if you don't ever have to struggle for anything, you will not find trials and difficult times like bearable at all. Struggle is something that we all have to go through and there's no difference to the Christian. Paul wants his readers to understand that struggle is important, it's going to happen, but we have a hope in Christ that is trustworthy. Because Christ died for us why we were still sinners and we are now we are made right with God. Jesus will save us from condemnation. In verse 11 of chapter 5, Paul states that we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has made us friends of God. And perhaps people in the Roman church were worried that due to the problems the church was facing and the difficult lives they were forced to lead, that they couldn't actually hope in the cross after all, that it wasn't going to go their way. And Paul wants them to know that Though times are going to be tough, we can and should grow in strength of character, and we should do this not by following any man-made philosophies or just trying to build businesses or, you know, strong bodies, but he wants us to build our hope on Jesus because he says that Jesus can be relied upon. In verse 7 and 8, Paul states that it would be very rare for someone to die for someone else he muses that perhaps maybe for a very good person someone might lay down their life but not normally and then he states that listen god sent his son to die for all of us while we were still sinners while we were not good people not the kind of people you would ever lay your life down for and in doing so jesus has offered the hand of friendship and called us friends he can be relied upon he will save us we can have hope in christ now, Jesus calling us friend has always stood out to me. We do not call God friend, or at least perhaps we shouldn't. We don't possess the Lord. And if we start to build our faith on this idea that Jesus is my friend, God is my friend, we might be on a little tricky, slippery theological road that is going to lead to pride and boastfulness. Because think about it. 
if we forget that it is God who has come down to us, then we may end up not taking God's sovereignty seriously. And if we don't do that, then how can we truly live in the hope and reliance on someone much more than us? A hope and reliance that comes from the Lord on high who has invited us and has offered us the privilege of coming in to be called his friend. And don't get it wrong, I, I do believe that in Christ we are invited to develop a deep and close relationship with the Father. But our culture often talks about Jesus like he is my buddy. What an honour that must be for him to be my friend. And that's not right. That lacks respect and awe that the Lord is due. Rather, we should be realising, oh, God has offered out his hand and has called me a friend. That is an honour and that is monumental for us. Take a moment to read back chapter 5, 3 to 11. What stands out to you? Do you disagree with my position on... The friendship issue. Do you take the Lord lightly, or do you walk in enduring faith, hoping in the power and authority of the Father? Now, in the previous two chapters, Paul wanted the church to see in Abraham an example of the theological position he is urging the church to take. The one of faith being the thing that determined whether you are right with God, not works. And so he says that Abraham had faith, and that was what made him right. Therefore, with that model, we should build our lives in faith and not just on rules and regs. And now, in chapter 5, Paul moves on to contrast Jesus with another extremely important figure in not just the Jewish faith, but in global you know, history, Adam. Now, once again, Paul is tying together the oldest traditions of the faith – all into Christ. And he contrasts Adam with Jesus in a few ways. In verse 14, Paul calls Adam a symbol, a representation of Christ who is to come. One who has walked with God in the perfect expression of the kingdom, the Garden of Eden. But Paul is also quick to showcase the huge difference. Adam, perfectly walking with God, sinned. And through his sin, death entered the world. But through Jesus, who walked with God, who did not sin, God brought the gift of forgiveness. Adam falls from God's presence because of his disobedience. Jesus overcomes all the temptations and walks with God in full obedience. And Paul says that because one man disobeyed God, sin entered the world. And therefore we are heirs of Adam. We inherit the, the selfish, fallen, mortal nature that comes from the choice to take things for ourselves. But because of Jesus, we now have the opportunity for a new life. New life has entered in. And as we just said, God has stepped down and invited us to walk with him. And it does mean, though, that we live in a world of two different families, the heirs of Adam and the heirs of Christ. And that is different. And if the church and if our own lives start to look selfish or egotistic, exclusive or greedy, then we might well be living more like children of Adam. And it is a fine line to walk, which is why Paul was so adamant in the previous section that we must hold firm to the hope in Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus is reliable and not give up when life becomes hard and not rely on our own strength. In our life, we will be pulled left and right between being like Adam and being like Christ. They are different, though we can see at least symbolically, the intention is that they would be extremely similar. 
both walk with God. So how, how do we understand this contrast between Adam and Jesus? Does our culture look more like Paul's explanation of Christianity that struggles and endures and grows in the hope in Christ? Or is our church culture and our Christian culture at home more like an Adam who chooses to take and eat when we desire to because we feel like that is our right? Now, at the close of chapter 5, I like to be reminded that all through the Old Testament, we see glimpses of Christ to come. Like we said, Adam walking with God, firstborn and perfect over the world until he's deceived, shows us both what walking in God's kingdom was like, but how easily it is to choose to turn away and how easily we can be deceived by things that look and feel good. And obviously earlier on we spoke about Abraham. In Abraham we see a man who lives by faith and trusts that God will do just as he promised. And in him too we see glimpses of how Jesus is going to live his life. And the example we should be aiming for, trusting in God even when things look hopeless. Even when by the standard of the world things are hopeless. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane trusts that God will back his promises up that he will be raised from the dead that he will you know do as he intended to all scripture is pointing towards jesus and then after jesus comes all scripture then bounces off from jesus and in chapter six paul opens by addressing a cheeky question if sin shows how great god's mercy is is it then okay to just keep sinning because then surely God can keep being even more merciful. Now, Paul acknowledges that this question, although it might sound quite clever, is skin deep at best and actually nonsense. Remember the contrast between the heirs of Adam and the heirs of Christ, which was two minutes ago, so I'm sure you do. If we have died with Christ, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 2, we have died to sin, how can we then continue to live in it? And Paul is being very clear. If we have joined in Christ's death and come into the new life that God has offered us, not only should we not be living in sin, but then he pushes this question, how is it even possible for us to live in sin? The life-changing act of becoming a Christian, Paul is saying, is as life-changing as literally dying and being buried. And as Christ was literally raised from the dead, so too should we be raised to new lives. We were heirs of Adam and now we are raised to be heirs with Jesus. Now, there are some Christians, usually new Christians or young Christians, who think that due to salvation, we can live however we want, because as long as it feels good, right? And that Jesus will just forgive us. Now, everything that Paul writes points towards the truth that in Christ, God has and will forgive any and all sins. But this grace is not to be used and abused. If we become Christians simply in order to, I guess, buy our way into heaven and then decide we're Christians, we've got into heaven and then we can live any way we please. It is strongly stated in Paul's letters that that person does not understand the faith and is not living in the new life, is not a Christian. And living under Adam brings sin, which brings death. Now look at chapter six, verse nine to eleven. Death no longer has any power over him, Jesus. He died to break the power of sin. So you should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin. And from this theology, Paul states with boldness in verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. 
there is an active level of participation as a Christian. We die with Christ and are counted as righteous before God. We are in. But as a response, our new life should not be an instrument of sin. It should not look like it used to. It shouldn't look like everyone else who doesn't know this. Therefore, Paul writes in verse 13, use your whole body completely for God, for you were dead, but now you have no new life. Read back chapter 6, 1 to 14. Take a moment to think about all of that. Do we see ourselves as new creations living out whole new lives for God? Or have we kind of fallen victim not all the time, but maybe sometimes, to this belief that as Christians, because we have salvation, it doesn't really matter how our lives change because we've got forgiveness. This is not me judging anybody. This is just pushing the question, pushing that challenge. Take a few minutes. Now, when we read Paul, we might, we might read Paul and think he's quite critical in his words. But he is trying to do everything he can to ensure that the church thrives in love and selfless living. Because that is what Christ taught and modelled. Now in verse 16, Paul gives us the image of being slaves to, quote, whatever you choose to obey. Now remember, we do always have a choice. We can choose to be Christians and choose whether we are now going to live in this new life God has called us. Or we can choose not to be Christians or perhaps to follow a false message of what being a Christian actually means. God is gracious God does allow us freedom of choice. Paul would like us to give ourselves to be slaves of righteous living so that we may become holy. And I don't, I'm not pretending that this is an easy message to live by at all. It is totally at odds with the way we are taught to live in our world. We are taught in our world to work hard and be successful so that we can achieve great things and live luxuriously. Um, all the hallmarks of a successful capitalist. We're taught to build legacies for ourselves and you know, and all these things. And there's nothing inherently terrible about being successful or legacy or there's nothing even inherently terrible about the way capitalism works. But the problem is, if our lives are built on that, Paul would say your life is built on the God mammon. Money, success, fame, money, success, fame. And it can only bring you security in perishable things i.e. money and goods and fame, these things are going to disappear. And, and as our current world situation has displayed, perishable things cannot save us. Being rich and famous and wealthy, that can't save us. But when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we are shown a new way. Verse 22 says, Now you are free from the power of sin. Now you do the things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. It is Christ that made the way possible. It is the spirit that shows us the way and urges us to right living. We always have a choice, though. Now, I listened to a podcast recently with two pastors arguing about Paul's work and Paul's um, words. And at one point it became clear that one of them was essentially a universalist, uh, but in a Christian way. Like He wasn't saying that all roads lead to God um and do anything you want but he was saying that he believes that god will basically just save everybody because of his love um so he wasn't basically he wasn't a universalist in the traditional sense but he, he was pretty much stating that position and i don't think paul would agree i think paul understands that the death of jesus was the ultimate display of god's love and mercy but in order to be truly a god of justice 
we are still allowed a choice of what we do with what we know about Christ. Do we continue to live as heirs of Adam, or will we be raised to new life in Jesus? And this new life will come with the responsibility of new living.